to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea with you with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, I have a guest, Jay Nanda, founder and executive director of Urban Dove. And Jay is totally one of my people. He is an ED in the education space in New York City. So he and I have run in the same circles for many, many years, but he has been in the game for a minute now, and it's going to be a delight to talk to him. So welcome, Jay. Thanks, Rhea. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, so I did a little bit of pre-hype, but tell us a little bit about yourself and Urban Dev. Well, I, you know, my first real job was teaching in here in New York City Public High Schools. I come from a family of educators, and so it was just sort of my future to be a teacher. But really, my passion was coaching basketball and, and coaching sports and young people. And so I started teaching because that was really the only job that let you be a coach. And I quickly realized that being a coach wasn't quite a full-time job by itself, and Teaching was great and I enjoyed it, but what I really was passionate about was using sports as a way to reach young people, teach them various life skills. And so I started investigating, was that even a thing that someone could do? This is going back almost 25 years. And it was just sort of starting out sports as, you know, what they call sports-based youth development was just starting to be a thing. And I was exploring different ways to do that, trying to find different organizations that did that, that I could work for, didn't really find anybody who was kind of doing it the way that I had imagined it. And so without really knowing what I was doing, I, I started my own nonprofit to do this one program that I had in my mind. And 20 plus years later, we've grown into this whole big thing, which was never really the intention. I just kind of wanted to work with kids, but it ended up being successful early on and, and led to all kinds of other exciting things. It's so funny. I interviewed Rich Berlin recently, and it was a very similar story. I mean, I think yeah. in some ways we're all kind of accidental EDs. Like, I didn't really intend to do this, and I needed yeah. a job, and I liked doing this thing. And lo and behold, a decade later, or two decades later, here yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah, Rich was one of the first, you know, when I first started thinking about starting a nonprofit, the one, like, I had enough smarts at least didn't have very many, but I had enough at least to be like, maybe I should ask some other people, <laughs> you know, run nonprofits, like what that's all about. And someone put me in touch with Rich. I think he was maybe the second or third person I met with. And he had been doing it just a little bit longer than I had, but like started asking me all of these really smart questions that I just had no idea what he was talking about. And I remember thinking, man, if I'm going to do this, I need to like step up my game because I am just clueless as to kinds of things that I should be doing. And it was a nice sort of kick in the pants to be like, if you're really going to do this, then this is like a real thing. You know, you kind of yeah. can't just wing it. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Yes and no. I feel like being an ED is like, sort of like having kids. Like you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and if you really <laughs> yeah. know what you're getting yeah. into, you may not do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think the idea of like starting a nonprofit organization, right? I mean, I think that that the organizational piece, like the structure of it and complying with laws and getting a board and like doing those kinds of things were, I just had no idea. I didn't even really know what a nonprofit was mm-hmm. at the time. And so, yeah, I felt like as an ED, I agree. I think you just, I learned it as I mm-hmm. went and that was, I, I have some, you know, if you have that sort of entrepreneurial spirit and that kind of stuff doesn't scare you, then I think then that's all you really need. But the idea of like actually running an organization was the part that I felt 
you have to do that. Like you can't just be running around by yourself doing these things. Yeah. People didn't want to interact with you. They were like, well, what's the name of your organization? And you were like, what's an organization? It's just me, Jane, and kind of running around with a basketball, yeah. you know, trying to get kids to play. Yeah, I think it's definitely a learn as you go sort of situation. And honestly, even if you are super experienced ED, new things come up all the time. Like new and different things are like, yeah. oh, I didn't think that that was ever going to be a problem, but I guess it is now. So <laughs> let me solve <laughs> yeah. that one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, did you ever see um, what's that movie with Matt Damon about the Martian? Where you, yeah, like, yeah you you like solve one problem, then you solve the next problem, and you solve the next problem, and if you solve enough right. problems, you get to go home. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I felt about being an idiot. I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> all right. But yeah, that's about right. listen, as you think about your twenty plus years as an ED, which is like, I mean, that's an incredible amount of time. What are some of the most important leadership lessons that you've learned? Because you know, we're talking about the fact that you didn't really have an idea about what an organization was or that you were going to be an ED and certainly not that you were going to be an ED for 20 plus years. Yeah. I mean, I think that when I, interestingly, when I first started out, I wasn't an ED in the sense that it was just me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I started Urban Dove out of my studio apartment. I didn't have a staff. So a lot of the things that you do as an executive director, as a leader, didn't really apply at the time. So I paid no attention to them at all. I had no real professional development in that regard. And was just kind of doing my thing. And then obviously as you grow and then you start to hire staff and then you're fundraising and you're doing all these type things, looking back on it now, I stupidly did nothing to prepare myself for that. I just kind of transitioned without even realizing it. And so I think that what I struggled with at the beginning of my career with leadership was, and as I think all founding EVs do or, or new organization EVs, you're doing everything, right? You're you're still doing programming, you're doing fundraising, you're taking out the garbage, doing all of these things. And when you start to lead, you have a hard time letting go of doing all of those mm-hmm. things. And I think one of the major things that I've learned as I've grown is that in order to really be an effective leader, and we're going to look, Urban Dub is much bigger now than it was then, but you got to let other people lead. You know, you have to empower them to do their job some space to do their jobs and you can't be involved in every single decision because one you don't have the bandwidth for it but two you you really disempower those folks that you're hoping to provide all kinds of things that you need and the more you disempower them the less connected they feel the less ownership they feel and that's just bad all and I think it's really tough when you when you're the founder of an organization you feel like every single paperclip sort of goes right to your heart, it's hard to let go of stuff, even small stuff. And it's really hard to lead that way. Can I share a really funny, quick story with you? Yeah. So in my early days, and at the time I was like a 20, call it 28 year old ED. I, and we joke about it now, like we're very good friends. So my my (laughs) program director at the time was ordering supplies for our summer program. And she, um, let's just say she was a little bit more free with the money than I was. Cause I was like, I was like, that pencil, there's like a nub left. You can still use it, (laughs) right? But I'm like fundraising every dollar. And she 
Yeah. Ended up buying a whiteboard spray back in the days when they had whiteboards. We had like a whiteboard spray gate because we got to do this massive conflict about it. So I was like, I don't really think that we need to be spending money on white whiteboard spray. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, right. Like she was like, well, you been like, am I in charge of this budget or am I not in charge of this budget? And we hadn't right. really clarified right. All of that. So, like in retrospect, it's funny now, and like we laugh about it because we're still friends. Yeah. But at the time, it was just like, I don't know, like I was ready to die on the hill of whiteboard spray. I was like, yeah. What yeah. are you doing? Why are you spending money on this? This is not necessary. Yeah. I had a similar story when I first started Urban Dub. I had two or three friends who were actually had jobs in, in the real world and were in offices. And I, anytime I saw them, I'd be like, can you grab, you know, like a box of paper clips or like a thing of pens or yeah. a ream of paper from your office. And I remember one, one time I was sort of asking one of my friends about like a box of paper clips. And he was like, Jay, go to CBS and for like 80 cents, buy a box of paper clips. Like I'm not going to get fired from my job for stealing office. And it was kind of this, like a little bit of a wake up moment in some ways, yeah. because, you know, paper clips really aren't that expensive. And I was kind of like, you know what, if I can't afford a box of paper clips, like maybe I'm doing something wrong mm-hmm. and you got to look at, at what you're doing. But like to this day, 20 something years later, I still sometimes will be like walking through my office and I'm like, why is that draft printed in color? Yeah. Oh, it's a draft guys. Okay. We should be printing drafts in black and white. You know, color is like an extra 0.04. And it does bother me. I can't, I know. I can't not change. But I think that's an interesting point though, because it leads up to a big challenge that I really had as a leader, which is how do you help people understand the different perspectives, right? Because I think program people like didn't really get what fundraising was doing. Fundraisers didn't understand what program people couldn't get them the data that they needed. No one could understand why I was up at three o'clock in the morning, stressing about funders and board members. And so it's like, there's a part of, yes, you want to empower people to help you run the organization and do what they do best. And part of it is like, how do you help them understand the full context? Because frankly, at the end of the day, nobody really sees the whole thing the way you see it. Right. No, I think it's a great point. And it's actually, it's interesting now because Urban Dove now runs these two schools, one in Brooklyn, one in the Bronx. We sort of transitioned from a sort of after-school program mm-hmm. to actually running our own schools. They're, they're identical, the replication schools, but they're two different buildings, two different leaders, two different staffs. Urban Dove is sort of this umbrella organization. So we kind of have these three unique pieces, and we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years working on sort of just that, the sort of one Dove culture, mm-hmm. right? Which is we're all part of Urban Dove. We all have our own jobs to do, but it's really important. We all understand each other's roles. So we do a lot of stuff together. We have this, we actually on election day, which is really a school PD, but the entire CMO staff is going to go and they're going to sit in workshops. They've got to participate and they've got to share what they do and they've got to learn what others mm-hmm. do. And I think that's really, really challenging. And it goes to no, I think it goes to good leadership, honestly, because I think we all get so caught up in what our job is and what we're trying to do, whether it's fundraising or board development. And you forget when you're the leader, people do look to you to make sure that that's happening. And I think that's one of the things that I just totally yeah. missed my first 10 years of doing this, that people turned to me and were like, all right, Jay, what what are you going to do about this thing? And I just didn't pay attention to it at all. And then people started sort of saying, look, I don't know what fundraising is doing. 
I don't know what these guys are doing. You've got to step in. You're the only you since you're in charge of all of it, you're the only one who can really step in and make this happen. So I think it's really important that you do and it can be like it could be non-work stuff, right? Just even like lunches or whatever sort of social activities, going and get a drink, happy hour, like. I think when people know each other a little bit better, they appreciate their work, they are more willing to share, like all that kind of stuff can feed off of it, but you have to intentionally put people into the same room and get them to appreciate what each other is doing. But that's that's just a constant yeah. struggle. Yeah. I want to get to talking about how you intentionally built culture in one second, but just to go back a little bit, one thing that I think is just really incredible about you is that you are not only a founder, but you've successfully transitioned into being a sustaining ED. I like to call it the second ED because yeah. I often think that the skills that make a founder successful are not the same skills that make a sustaining ED successful. And in some ways, like being a founder, you kind of have to not listen to people. Like you have to be very kind of single-minded and like pushing out the naysayers. But then as you grow and as you start to get a staff, that what was once an attribute becomes a detriment. So I'm wondering if you could tell, talk to me a little bit about the behaviors, traits, mindsets that you consciously had to shift from going from being a founder to being a sustaining ED? Yeah, well, it's a great point. And I think I struggle with it every day. I've gotten much better at it, but it it is a constant struggle to, guys, just get out of my way. Let me do it. I have all the Mm -hmm. answers. I've been doing this Mm -hmm. for a long time, which is sometimes the truth, right? Sometimes I do have the best solution to the problem, but sometimes I don't. To being able to step back a little bit. I think the most important trait and the one thing I think that I... And I don't do a lot of stuff well, but I think the one thing I do well is I'm really just kind of, I know what I don't know. I'm pretty reflective in, in that regard. And I think that if you are willing to just accept as you get into areas of your organization where you may not be the expert to say, I'm, you know, I'm not the expert on this. Let me let in some of the mm-hmm. naysayers. Let me let in some other mm-hmm. voices to make sure that my idea is the best idea. And and I can say, as, as Urban Dub transitioned into running schools, that really flared up to us because I hired two school leaders who, frankly, do know more about running a school mm-hmm. than I do. And it was sort of stark because I would go in and I would say, this is what we're doing. And they were both great. And they would say, that's a terrible idea. Like, that's right. not going to work in this school. And I would sort of step back and say, what do you mean? Like, and it worked both ways a little bit because we're, we've created these very, very innovative schools. And so it works both ways where they say, this is what we're going to do. And I could say, why? Why are we doing it that way? Well, that's how schools work. I've been in schools for you know, 15 years and I'm like, we don't have to do it that way anymore. So there is, I think when you have really good folks under you that you trust and they trust you and there's a good relationship, you can have that like, yeah. but why, you know, conversation, which I think is the is the difference between being a founder. There is no, nobody asks you, but why, right? The, inside your organization, people outside your organization may ask you, but with inside the organization, there is no right. dissent. You're just on your own. You're just doing everything. You're making it, right. every decision, hopefully learning from them. When you have a larger organization with multiple leaders, then you need folks who will say, but why are you doing that? And if you're willing to listen to that, then then you can make Yeah. It. Well, and I mean, to, so I've been super transparent on this podcast before, but I think one of my biggest failings as a leader is I get distracted by new shiny things, right? <laughs> like 
like the dark side of being yeah. entrepreneurial is that you, I have like professional ADD and I'm like, Ooh, new thing. Ooh, new tool. Yeah. Ooh, new. Yeah. And I think yeah. it was fine when it was like a one or two person thing, but once <laughs> it became a staff, yeah. I, <laughs> I know I drove my staff crazy because they were like, okay, you're this thing. Do you want me to like yeah. do this thing now? Is that different than the thing you wanted me to do yeah. last week? And so, right. I, I mean, I since I've been out of the game, I've had a lot of time to reflect on leadership, and I feel like I'd be a way better ED today, having had years to just like take yeah. a step back and think about all the things. We literally just had this. So, so at our schools, we we have these youth development programs that Urban Dunn's been doing for years, and in our schools, they're sort of sit under various departments and. We've been talking about this and it's not really effective. And I was like, all right, we just got to make a department within the school, put the director of the department in the school, and then and we'll put everything under their umbrella. And it was like, that's a great idea. And I was like, great. So we have a person in mind to do it. I think next week we can start this, right? Like, I'm, you know, new shiny thing, like, this is right. a good idea. Let's just do it. And it was one of those moments where you had five or six of your trusted sort of leaders around the table. And I'm like, all right, so we'll just, you're going to do this, right? And we'll start next week. And everybody right. was silent. And you're like, come on, people, what's the problem? And everybody was like, we can't start this next week. Like, you're insane. And I'm yeah. just like, let's just do it. Oh, here's a good idea. Let's just do it. And other people are like, it is a good idea. And we can do it in like six months with a lot of planning and a lot. Of, but but that's that kind of like, hey, I no, I didn't wait. I, when I started Urban Dub, I just had this idea. Like, next day, yeah, I yeah, yeah. do it. And, yeah, that doesn't work so well. When yeah, you're, you're not in a speedboat anymore, Jay. You're in a yacht. Yachts yeah, don't, yeah. don't pivot the same way. Yeah. No, no, you got to slow it down. And importantly, even if even if it could get done, it's probably not smart because you want mm-hmm. people to own that, right? So that's the other thing. When you're the founder and it's just you, you don't need. I don't need anybody to buy mm-hmm. this because it's just me. But when you've got other people who you rely on to really do the work of it, yeah. they better buy in because otherwise. Yeah. So, that's important. so let me talk a little bit about intentionally creating culture. One of the things that you mentioned was being intentional about putting people in the room to just talk to each other and get to know each other, which I think makes a lot of sense. Again, I'm going to quote Jen Mayer again, but one of my dear friends and mm-hmm. who's an executive coach said, the conversation is the relationship and the relationship is the unit of change. And I think as I think about the mistakes that I've made in my career, it's when I was moving too fast and like didn't yeah. spend the time to get people on board or create the necessary relationship so that when things did get rough, that we had like a a savings account of good relationships mm-hmm. to fall back on. Like I was much more outcome focused and I was process focused. And so I'm wondering, what are some other things that you've done around intentionally creating culture? So I, let me start by saying I didn't for a long time. Like, this is not something I think I, I would sort of share your thoughts when I look back on, on my leadership. Like, this is an area I just could, I just didn't spend any time on whatsoever. I was very much in the do your job. What's the problem? Why do I need to be nice to you? Yeah, just just do get it job. done. Don't, don't bother me to do yourself. Yeah. Get it done. 100%. You're, you're speaking yeah. my language, Jay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, and because yeah. that's what I did. Like nobody's yeah, there to yeah, talk yeah. to me. Like, yeah. And so there's a little bit of that kind of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of mentality and like founder mentality. And that worked for a little while, but but eventually you do start to need you grow and the organization grows, you do start to need people to invest 
And so I started to pay a little bit more attention to that and I'm, and I'm continuing to do that. But I think some of the things intentionally that you do, I mean, one of the things I found to, to be most effective is to really try and give people the space that they need so they can feel like they own their job, whatever that job might be. And that's mostly from the leadership position. Like I'll meet with you once a week, we'll sort of agree on what we're looking to accomplish over the next five days. But then unless you need my help, like go and do that. I'm not gonna be constantly in your face to give people a lot of room to do that. And what I, what I hope it conveys is trust and confidence and a little bit of freedom for creativity. And if you've got a great idea and want to go about it that way, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to prescribe for you every mm-hmm. step of this process. You, you're, I just need you to get to there. And if you have some ideas about how to get there, then, then knock yourself out and that's fine. And I can be there as a support if you need me. But I think that's really, really important. I want to think you, people have to really own their stuff. They've got to feel really good about it. I mean, the work that we do is really difficult mm-hmm. work. And I think people really need to feel good about it and feel supported so that they know that even if they do make a mistake, that that conversation is not going to be a punitive one. Someone's got your back. And so I think that I've really tried to create a culture where there are sort of, you know, there's no, you know, sort of cliche, but there's no wrong answers. Everything is possible. As long as you did it in a sound way, we can fix things if they go wrong, you know, go your thing and it's hard because as a founder i'm very often like fighting the instinct to say just i have i can yep. tell you exactly how to do this like uh, here yeah, i'll yeah, just write it down just, just yeah just follow, follow the instructions don't screw up yeah yeah <laughs> don't don't screw it up but that's not a long-term solution and, and it certainly doesn't build a culture i think where people feel valued and and i think that's you know the most important thing and, and i was thinking about this before we we got together we're, you know sort of the topic of this. And I think one of the interesting things is that when I first started Urban Dub, and I think, you know, any new organization, you're there, right? You're the solid full-time, this is my baby, I'm not going anywhere. But everyone else is kind of like part-time, they're sort of bopping in, they're bopping out. You don't, I feel like I didn't have to pay that much attention. Oh, because it was like transactional and you're like, you're going to be gone in a year. And why am I, yeah, why am I investing emotionally and intellectually in you? Now, yeah. Now, yeah, exactly. Right. Because you're coming, you're going, that's fine. So that's the, we both agree that's the arrangement, right? I don't care too much about you. You don't have to know who I am. You don't need to know my wife's name or where I like. That's right. just not what this is going to be. You're just going to come in and do your thing. Now I look at Urban Dove, we've got 175 full time employees. We have employees who have families and children, and this is their yeah. career. You know, this is, and it's not okay. To treat those people the same way you would have treated other people. I don't want to do that. I want them to feel like Urban Dub is their place of work, you know? And that, I never really had a job, you know? I sort of went from bopping around after college to sort of starting Urban Dub. And so I never really lived in a culture where I felt that. Yeah. So it was sort of difficult for me to create it. But, but now, like, this is stuff that really matters. Like, this job now really matters to a lot yeah. of our employees. And that requires us then to turn around and say, how do we create a culture where you feel truly valued, where you, truly, you feel important, you feel like you're contributing, you like your colleagues, you like your leaders. And so now you have to pay attention to that stuff because you have 
signed a different agreement with those. You know, as you're talking, Jay, it's so interesting. I'm reflecting on myself and I actually think I I had the opposite problem, which is that it was so personal Uh, to me. And so I couldn't understand when people were like, I'm not working on the weekend. I have like another thing. I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) We're a family and we are all in this. (laughs) And, you know, and I had a hard time when people resigned, which was like, obviously a natural people move on and whatever but I, like for many especially in the early years I took it really personally because yeah. I had emotionally invested in each of these people like wait but we're family and this is like we are in this yeah. fight and I can't believe that you don't think that this is like the central mission of your life yeah. <laughs> it was like yeah. no yeah so funny because I was like very much the opposite. I was like, this is not personal oh, at all. Like, I mean, Urban Dove was personal to me, yeah. of course, but this relationship is not personal. It's only transactional. I don't want to come to your house. I don't want to meet your kid. Like, I know I'm not going to your birthday. Party. Oh, yeah. I was probably like, way too much yeah. on the other end. Like, I went to people's weddings and like yeah. their baby showers. I knew their uh, parents. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a little too much. Yeah, no, there's a happy medium. Like, I don't think either is, like, there's a middle ground there for sure. And I still don't do that a ton. I mean, I have to say, like, it's not like now I know all my employees and their pets and all that kind of stuff because I don't take that approach. But but I move well off of that. And, and And I think more importantly, frankly, my leadership team here and at the schools who are in more direct contact with those employees, I think do do that. I think they have that nice, balanced relationship. And that's far more important. I think an organization of this size, the leader, right, can be a little bit aloof. Like, I think that's yeah. okay. As long as everybody feels like they've got somebody who they can connect to that values them and that kind of stuff. So I think it's balanced out over the years, but I've come to realize that it's not cool to be like, yeah, whatever, you yeah. just do your job. Yeah. So you got to pay more You know, the other thing I was thinking about, and I'd I'd be curious about your thoughts on this, which is I think part of why I would be a better ED now than I was even, say, five years ago, aside from having just had more experience and seen more things, is emotional maturity. And when I was 26, like when you're 26, you think you know everything about everything, right? So you couldn't imagine that, that you couldn't like figure it out, right? Because I'm like, I'm smart. I work really hard. I care deeply about this thing. I can figure all of it out. And that got me pretty far. But I think that there's like just an emotional maturity and like a calming down, if you will, that has really helped my leadership. Is that, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. I think, I think one of the real struggles, and I think it's more so in the nonprofit world than it is elsewhere, is that you tend to get a lot of young idealistic people working in this field. And I know that I'm sure Rich Berlin and you know sort of all people of that ilk would sort of all agree. Especially when you're starting out, you look around and you say, "There's no real." Yeah, adults. I know there were no, there was no adult you know? supervision. I was like, "What?" <laughs> it's a bunch of kids like yeah. running around, and when you when you start out, you're one of the kids, right? And then you do get to a point where you're sitting in a room and you realize you're the adult. And I think that, you know, it's like that old poker thing, right? You're sitting at a poker table and you can't figure out who the other is. It's you. You're sitting with all of your staff and you can't figure out who the oh, adult is. You. Better I than know. you, right? Like, and so I think that, so there's two things I think that are really important there. One is to recognize that there are some things you, kind of, you have to grow up. So, you know, you have to grow up faster maybe yep. emotionally. Because it's important to have an adult. It's important to have 
because everyone thinks you're the adult, right? Even if you don't think so, all of your staff members are looking to you as the adult because you're the, you're the boss. So you better have some of those qualities and emotional traits. Yeah. But I think what's also really important is you then need to get to the point where you're comfortable hiring other adults. And that for me took a while, like, because I don't, you don't want anybody to challenge your authority. You don't want anybody who's smarter than you are or more experienced than you are. But then you kind of realize I need some more adults in this place because I can't be the only adult. And so you start to hire members of your leadership team who really are. And then, and then what happens is if I think you do this well, you don't get jealous at all. You actually sit back and have a big sigh of relief. Yeah. You're like, I don't have to be at that event over there because the guy in charge is an adult and I know they've got it. And I it's know. a wonderful, wonderful feeling, but it takes a little while to get Yeah, I know. So in our last moments together, moment of truth, would you be willing to share like your worst leadership moment? Yeah. <laughs> so many. Where should I? I think the worst leadership moment, and without sort of like being too specific and naming names, I think the worst leadership moment realize that it's happened to me a handful of times that the thing you were passionate about and put into place and the person you hired to lead and do it and the team you put around didn't work we're just wrong I know. right and, I know. and it wasn't wrong you're like oh let's rip up that draft and do a new like it was like lives were affected yeah by your inability to do this properly and that's a gut-wrenching feeling because there's a lot of perks about being top dog. But one of the real negatives is if you're honest about it and something like that goes horribly wrong, you have no choice but to be like, I screwed that up. Mm-hmm. Better job the next time. And that can those can be pretty meaningful and people can really be affected negatively. And so I think that those are the worst moments. You realize that and not through any sort of hubris or I'm smarter than you, you just got it wrong. Like, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Oh, this was the answer and it just yeah. So that's, uh, that's yeah, I think like for me, since since we're sharing, my worst moments have were probably around people, definitely. And either people who I knew were not the right ones and like I just put it off and put it off because it was just that dread of having that hard conversation, but having that person hold on way longer than was good for the organization. I made that mistake. Yeah. I've hired the wrong people. Yeah, that's have misread situations and said the wrong thing and had it like sort of explode on me. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, you live and learn, I guess. You do. You do. I think it's all, you know, all you can, the way I get up the next day is the big picture, right? Like I'm, my heart's in the right place. My mind's in the right place. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do something positive. I screwed that up. I'm going to learn from it. I'm not going to make that mistake. I'll other on other states, but I'm not going to make that mistake again. Yeah. Try to treat people as you know as best you can, and I think your point earlier is a great one, which is in relationships you want to build that sort of positive social capital, mm-hmm. but but for your own reputation you want to build it as well, right? Because that's important. So if you do the right thing enough times, then when you screw it up, hopefully people say, "Oh, here's a great guy who's doing great stuff who screwed this one thing up. Hope he learned from it," mm-hmm. as opposed to, "Boy, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing." Yeah. Like, why are we even involved with this? And if you can feel that vibe after the mistake, then I think that's really helpful for the most part. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap this up. One of my favorite quotes from this guy, Chip Conley, who is like a tech guy, but before that was in hospitality. And he's built this whole movement around like baby boomers being like 
he calls them modern elders. And he says that wisdom is good judgment based on pattern recognition with the right alchemy of confidence and humility. <laughs> yes. So may we all be wise. Yeah. That's all you can ask at the end of the day, I think, right? Is that for people to show a little wisdom, a little humility. Look, have the confidence to go and do it. Don't come into my office every three seconds with a stupid question. But have the humility to say, I don't know this and I need some yeah. help. Well, Jay, we're wrapping up now. I really appreciate your time. I'll make sure to post information about Urban Dev in the show notes for folks who want to learn more about it. I'll tell Rich that you said hello and really appreciate you being here. No, thank you. This was great. I really enjoyed it, Ria. Thank you. And hopefully we'll see each other soon. Yes, that'd be great. Take care.